0: So when the scripture says um, this salvation, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They searched and carefully investigated this salvation, this salvation. We're talking about the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. When Jesus had his earthly ministry, he said to leaders, religious leader, common people, and social outcasts, like everyone he spoke to, he said that you must be born again. You must be born again. He said the gospel has come. The kingdom is here for you to be saved and to be reborn. Now, I know um, in our modern context and when we think about the word um, born again or, you know, I I don't know about you, but um, when I grew up, it was always spoken in somewhat of a a pejorative. Oh, those born again Christians, you know, those born again Christians. And even if we don't look at it that way ourselves, we have to admit that in our culture and our society, when we hear the word born again or born again or people just look at that in a negative sense it's a radical statement to say today even that a person must be born again okay thank you goodbye <laughs> the end of conversation but it's not just radical today it was radical back in the days of Jesus Jesus said that you must be born again you had to um, be born afresh it's a radical statement but it fits it's, it's it's adequate. It, it paints the picture. It gives us the image, the way that you've been living, how you live, the person that you are has to be new, fresh. The way you think has to be new and fresh. Your life has to be new and fresh. When someone looks at you, you must look new and fresh. Jesus is really saying something very powerful that we must be born again. I'm reminded when Jesus in the book of John is speaking to a religious leader named Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to him and says, you're a great teacher. And he paused. And he says, stop. you got to be born again. And that really confused him and, and rocked his world. But he was trying to give the image, look, you can't approach me something that you can get some great ideas or some good information you have to really be changed in your heart to the core of who you are down into your DNA you must be born again he says something that was so radical he said to him he said what I'm talking about are spiritual truths and he said that You can't even see the kingdom of God, and you can't even really understand what I'm talking about because spiritual truths can only be seen with spiritual eyes. It's revealed in spiritual ways. You can understand natural truths from a natural perspective, but in order to approach a holy spiritual God, you must be able to see him with spiritual eyes. I've heard it said, and I've come to believe it myself, I can't remember where I heard it said, but it was said like this. Someone said, I will believe it when I see it. You ever heard that saying? I'll believe it when I see it. But they said, really, people, believe they see what they believe. We say, I'll believe it when I see it, but we see what we believe. You ever seen some something so fantastic, so miraculous or unbelievable? You ever heard someone give a, uh, a report on what did they just see, like a, an accident or something tr- traumatic happened, and they saw it with their own eyes. And the person comes up into them and asks them, what did you see? And they go, mu- they can't wrap their belief system around it. They go, I don't know. <laughs> it's like our brains, if it goes against what we already believe, it's hard for us to see. It's hard for us to see and Jesus is saying that what I'm talking about here you really can't see this unless you're born again and Nicodemus when Jesus is talking to him he Nicodemus represents a whole people group that know about God but can't even see him the God that's standing right in front of him I think that in our culture in our day I think us Nicodemus represents us we know about God but until we have his spirit that comes on the inside of us and we are born again it's hard for us to see that but we can receive that when he does come on the inside of us in Genesis it says that we were all created in the image of God and that we were created by him and for him and I think that inside every single person, there is a longing to be restored to a relationship with that God. You know, what I'm talking about restored, when we talk about these longings, we can't talk about these longings without speaking directly to a desire. The desire is a longing to have that strong and uh, it's a strong and persistent desire. When you think about uh, a strong and persistent desire, think about desire from the very beginning, when we were first created, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. There was a a desire to be in relationship with God, but something happened. The Bible says there was a fall, where there was a separation between God and humanity. Do you remember? Some of you have heard the story. It says that there was a garden. And that God created all these animals and these uh, uh, birds in the air and the fish in the sea. And he created man and woman and placed them there. And what did they do? They ate a forbidden fruit. They disobeyed God. And because of that, there was a fall, the fall. There was a separation in their relationship with God. And in that separation in their relationship, I believe that ever since then, There is a longing in the heart of humanity to be restored to that relationship with God. When we think about our desire, our longing to spend eternity and be in intimate relationship with God, I think about how the fact that God has created us with desires. He's giving us a longing to be with him. It's the thing that pulls us to him. When we talk about desire, it's a desire is placed within humanity for a purpose in all of God's creation. Uh, A a fish desires to swim. A bird desires to fly. We desire for food and water. And it's God's pleasure to give us the things that we desire. In Psalms 103 verse 5. It says, God satisfies your desires with good things. So desires are actually one of the primary indicators of God's will for his creature. So the desires that you have, whether we have a negative or positive connotation, which they're both there, the desires that we have, God has given us desires. God, the desires that we have is an indicator of His will and His plan for us. He places those things within us. However, we can miss it. We, because of our fallen nature in humanity, we can look at desires and they can lead us to go astray. Sometimes because we have desires that are sinful. Which I want to take a moment and just say, when I say sinful, I want to say specifically right now, I'm not talking about morality. Sin is an old English word that connotates missing the mark. When God created us in his image for his purpose, he had a specific plan, a specific purpose, a specific design for us. But sin is when we go off, we veer off the specific plan and we miss the mark, and that's sinful desires. So there's a desire that's placing us from God, but then there's desires that are sinful that are off the mark of God. Are you following me? You know, that's why in a moment, see, I'm going to jump around a little bit. That's why in a moment, Jesus, walking with his disciples, can be walking with Peter, who was one of his disciples, and said that I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And Peter said, no. That's why in that moment, Jesus can look at Peter and say, get thee behind me, Satan. And then in the next moment, be like Tell him that I'm giving you the keys to the church and the the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. It's not that Peter was the devil. And it wasn't that Peter was just a a sinful person, but it's the fact that his thoughts, his plans, his aim, his design was out of line with God's plan and design. And so God says, I give you a desire, but it should be in line with my desires and not yours. So what I'm saying is that Christians and we can because we know that there's also sinful desires, we can sometimes mistrust our desires and be afraid to actually follow them. But in uh, order for us to live a sustainable, vibrant, healthy, spiritual life in God, we must be able to not quench our desire, but rather retrain our desires, reorientate the way that we think and approach life and our desires so that when we come to desire what God wants for us and not just our desires. There's an interesting um, connection between the words emotion and motion. And emotions are what set us in motion. If we don't have the capacity for emotion or desire, there's, there's a good chance that we won't Be motivated to do anything, as you said earlier about being motivated to do something. So we have to recognize that desire is very good. It's it's essential to our understanding um, God's will for our lives. But then we must be able to understand that the sin and the fall has messed up our desires as well. Like, for instance, right now, I'm preaching um, this word to you. I have a desire to be faithful to God's word and to preach the truth to you. But at the same time, I must be honest and say, I got a desire to sound intelligent and do a good job and have you like me. (laughs) So mixed in with my good desire to please my heavenly fire, my heavenly fire, my heavenly, (laughs) my heavenly, yeah, he's got fire. But to please my heavenly father, I also have this desire just to be someone that's impressive. And as long until we go to be with the father in glory, we're going to always have inside of us this struggle within of these good desires with these other desires as well. So I want to talk to you right now and speak to and appeal to the godly longings or the desires that will move us, his children, his people, to do his will. In verse 11, it says he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. He testified in, a, in advance. What is he what is he talking about here? What is he what do you, what does he mean the sufferings? Of Christ and the glories that would follow and what are those glories what are the glories but all of our God-given longings fulfilled in Christ our God given desires being fulfilled in our Lord and, and, and what are those sufferings Jesus gives us the example and he demonstrates by going to the cross Christ. He takes up the cross in self-denial. That's so critical for us. He's the one um, that goes and sacrifices all so that he may experience the glory of being with the Father in eternity. Not just him, but all of us. He gave us that example. Now, the thing about that is, we rarely see that sort of thing in our culture. We rarely see that sort of thing in our society. It goes counter to our culture because in our culture says when you want something, you really just go for more of it. But the scripture teaches and the ways of Jesus teaches that in order for us to experience life, we experience it through death. Now, that's counter to everything that we know. How do you get life out of death? But in scripture it says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a solitary grain. But when it goes into that ground and dies, it can then produce much fruit. That's why when we look at these teachings of Jesus and we see the example of Jesus, And it's so counter to the way that we think naturally in our natural minds. We have to reorientate ourselves, retrain the way we view our desires and life itself, and preach this word to ourselves, the truth of what God says in his word. And when we begin to study his word and reorientate our minds to it, there's something that happens within us. The Spirit of God brings life to us and reveals to us the truth of his word. And we are moved with a passion and moved with a desire and moved with an emotion to fulfill and do God's good pleasure for our lives. The Bible teaches that the main struggles that we face in life aren't the struggles that we face outside, but it's the struggles that we face within ourselves. It's the struggles within our own hearts, the desires that we have within ourselves to do what God's will is. so easy for us to take something that is good and look at it as bad. That's why Jesus, that's why I'm sorry, God speaks to it from the very beginning with the first commandment. He says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. That means the whole part of you, every part of us is to love God and to make him first. To die to self is an essential theme of this gospel that teaches about the speaking to our longings. C.S. Lewis, um, a well-known Christian author, in his book, The Great Divorce, he gives a wonderful scene. Now, get this. He gives this scene, and it's at night, and it's a full moon, and it's lit. And there he's in a valley that's just come over a, a mountain, and then there's a ridge. So imagine being in this valley. And he tells the story of like these ghost-like figures that are traveling along this path. They're traveling along, kind of meandering and wandering and walking, and he's there and there's this image of an angel. An angel speaks to uh, one of these ghost-like figures and says that, um, do you want to go into heaven? And the person says, yeah, I wanna go into heaven. He says, all right, I'll help you take you to heaven he says, but I got to kill that lizard. There's this ghost-like figure that has a lizard on his shoulder. And as he's walking along or meandering as, I don't know if ghosts walk or they just like float. He's going along and there's this ghost and, and, and there's this lizard on his shoulder and he's whispering in his ear. And as he's, he can see that as he's walking up to the angel, he can see them talking. But as he gets closer to the angel, he can begin to hear the lizard speak to him. And the guy goes through this excruciating internal struggle as he's talking to this lizard. He's whispering, don't let him kill me. If you let him kill me, you'll die. If you let him kill me, life won't be worth living. If you let him kill me, you're going to lose out. And the guy is in such agony. He's in such turmoil. He, 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 he doesn't know what to do. And he's wondering to himself, will I die to this distorted longing? Or not and finally out of desperation or disgust with himself or or longing itself he says go ahead just do it just kill it and the angel strikes him and the man falls down and the lizard falls with him and there's a heap on the ground and it looks like there's nothing but death and in just that moment The ghost-like figure falls to the ground, and then he gets up, and he comes up as a fully formed, fleshed out man, looking like the rock. (laughs) He's got muscles on muscles. But the thing is, is that the lizard also rises and comes to life. And he's no longer a small lizard, but then he's this stallion that's strong and beautiful. And the man gets on top of the stallion and rides off over the ridge into heaven. The bottom line of this story is this, there's no desire, there's nothing, um, there's, there's no desire that can enter the life into heaven as it exists right now. There's nothing that we have that we can just take on our own, unless it's fully submitted to the will and plan of God. It's when we take our desires and submit our desires to God. And it's through repentance that we are reborn as something so magnificent and more noble that we cannot even imagine it to be on our own. That's why the scripture says it hasn't even entered into your mind. You can't even think of, you can't even ask the things that God has in store for you. Remember at the beginning when I asked you um, to name your desires to one another? The things that you desire? I I noticed there were a couple people I said, now, name your desires to one another. And you chuckled. You were like, I don't know if I want to name my desire (laughs) to someone here right now. But what I'm asking you right now is to look at desire as an indication or a gift from God. And not something that you have to be in torment and anguish with that you're going to lose out and lose out on life or or die. But but submit that to God. Take your desire as an indication of God's purpose of a direction for you and submit that desire and let God through Jesus Christ and his redemptive work work through you work through that desire to make it something beautiful. To make you more than you ever could imagine that you would be. In Matthew um, 16, Jesus is saying, He says, For whatever wants to, so whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what would it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Basically, when we just surrender and just say, I'm going to surrender my life, I'm willing to trust you, God, with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength. You're gonna take that thing that I thought that I needed and you're gonna give me something greater. You're gonna create in me In my heart, in my life, something that I thought I needed just to live, you're going to create in me something greater, more nobler and stronger than I could have imagined of myself. We have to to die to our distorted longings that don't provide for us the end result that we're desiring and begin to think on the real and the true. And Jesus leads us in that way when he goes to the cross despising the shame. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him because his longing was a life in union with God forever. And not just for himself, but all humanity. Imagine that, that joy, that wonderful joy of living life. You know, that's so abstract when I talk about heaven and and, and that joy with Christ. But when I was a young man, i um, many of you have heard, you know, I was born and raised in Newark. My wife uh, represents Jersey City, Jersey City. She grew up here in Jersey City. What's so, up? Jersey City! We always argue about who's better, Newark or Jersey City. We all know Newark. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I grew up in in Newark and I had these desires. I wanted to live life. I wanted to live it to the full. And I thought that I had to pursue it and I pursued it in negative ways. God gave me a desire to want to live a full life. God gave me a desire to want to have things and enjoy the things of this life. But that desire that was given from God doesn't mean that I can go out there and do what I did when I was younger and take it from somebody. That doesn't mean that I can go out and rob somebody to get my joy. That doesn't mean, you know, there were times when I would go to um, sometimes the most dangerous, most darkest place, just because I knew that by going into that dark and that dangerous place, there was a certain life for me. There was a certain adrenaline rush. It was, it was exciting. I thought I was alive, but it was a distorted desire for the true life. And, and it wasn't until Jesus came into my heart and Jesus began to show me what true desire and true life is. The thing about coming to faith and being born again, as I mentioned earlier, it's not something we can do on our own. When we're we're born again, we're, we're given new life. No baby wills himself to live. Who's the one that decides that baby's coming into the world? It's the parent. They willed to come together. And so when we come to God, even the fact that you're here today, even the fact that anybody would have a desire to read his word, even the fact that we would have an inkling or an indication that there might be a God, that is something that is born and willed of God. God places that in us. And and I say that because sometimes we have questions about, is this, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing, you know what? The fact that you're even having a desire for God, is something that is born of God and being placed on the inside of you. And we should rejoice in that. And we should celebrate in that and allow him to do the complete and full work in our lives. And that's what he's desiring to do in, our, in, our, in this world today, all around us. So we can deny ourselves when we look to Jesus. When we see him and know the way of real joy. He says to us that he'll take us by the hand. He'll get in the yoke with us. He'll guide us. He'll show us the way. He's with us all the way. Wherever you're at in your journey of faith. If, if you're right at the door and you're investigating and you're not sure, or sometimes you feel like you believe and then the next day you, you seem like you're a completely different person than the one you were yesterday. Or maybe you've been walking with him for years now and you just find yourself being strong and steady. Or maybe it's become stale to you and you really, when you look at it, it's not jumping off the pages It's not something that we go and we try to just make it happen. It's when we look at Jesus, when we behold him, when we when we can see him for who he is, he opens our hearts and eyes to a new and wonderful world in Jesus Christ. He shows us the way. God is giving you longings that he desires to fulfill, longings that are beautiful. And glorious, that's specific to you. And angels desired to glimpse into these things. They desired to know. It says that the prophets investigated this and they realized that they were serving not themselves, but they were serving us, meaning, after Jesus had come, those that would be with him in paradise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we look to you today in the person of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for restoring us to relationship with you, for giving us desires that that lead to our created purpose. I pray that you give each one here today the courage and enable us to submit our desires to you trusting that you can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever imagine. And I pray that may your word be fruitful in our hearts as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.